0: All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is the intro for episode 75. Jason Lingren is with me. Uh, we're going to wrap up last ideas about the RH factor and uh, cover the Hindu temples or the Hindu idea of what is called the monkey god, which I don't agree with. Um, I don't think that's probably even what was meant to be described as uh, called Hanuman. Many people recognize the new new man idea in there. Uh, we will see, very difficult to get information uh, online these days by the time you plow through all the travel sites, nonsense, get beyond it, and then find you get very little information offered readily. But anyhow, this episode is also going to cover uh, a very pertinent talk topic as we come into fall here, having just passed the fall equinox. Uh, which was reported wrong, as always, and I will cover that. Um, we're going to cover time. It's an artificial construct, wholly, 100%. Um, there is no natural connection in the way we live with the time that controls us. Uh, it is a control mechanism, and the whole second hour and part of the end of the first hour are going to cover this. And, uh, you know, as I got you know, we were going to cover uh, the idea of royal births and conceptions being tied to the natural system, uh, what people might call astrology, maybe they'd call it alchemy, basically the sun, the path of the sun and the acceptable year of the Lord, as the Bible would phrase it. Um, what we found was a lot of these royals have two birthdays. Uh, and one is Julian, one is Gregorian, and we realized we just did not have time to parse through it. We will go back on this idea. Um, We also found that the Naval Observatory that keeps the cesium clock in DC is also tracking Julian time, believe it or not. We cover some of these things. Anyhow, I've been noticing a real trend with the programming that television brings our world. Television being most probably the most insidious thing I can imagine, I've noticed a new thing going on in the programming. I mean, it's always programming you. But they're doing this thing now where they're trying to use a captive audience and force them to watch something they may not have otherwise watched. What they're doing is announcing new shows like Star Trek. There was an Eclipse special that was live the night of the Eclipse. I think this new Oroville kind of Star Trek comedy that Seth, whatever his name, McFarlane is doing. uh, I think all three of these programs did it where they announced this new show is going to be on. Actually, one or two of them was after a football game, I think, which already had a captive audience. Then they preempt the beginning of the program with Trump nonsense and other nonsense 100% BS programming But what they're doing is trying to capitalize on the fact That everyone wants to see the new Star Trek Or this new program or that new silly program And then they get that captive audience and they program them I've also noticed another thing Uh, They're really militarizing a lot of the shows With Navy SEALs and these other things But this is also going on in Hollywood Uh, Right now there is a movie I'm aware of coming out about Waco Waco Wacko, um, that false event, and of course the Boston bombing with Gake Gyllenhaal, um, who is apparently Oscar-worthy for portraying a nonsensical event. It will never cease to amaze me that the footage we were shown at the Boston bombing was not immediately recognized as false by every single person who has ever been through boot camp in the military and seen what a real explosion looks like. And understands that shrapnel would shred flags and that smoke bomb they showed us was complete nonsense. Um, But here it is, man, the programming begins. For all those sleepy minds out there that will simply tune in and watch what's going on, they will further be inserted into these false fantasy-based reality ideas. It's a shame you know even watching things like the new star trek it's it's in a way it's it's no different maybe not quite as insidious but in a way it is it's it, inserting an expectation into your mind of what space is what a planet looks like in space what a starship would look like all these things that to me are unacceptable i've said many times that in my view space is misdescribed if i am correct then what they're doing is an insidious thing if i'm not correct well, then I'm not correct. Um, it's that simple. Anyhow, as we get into the first part of this, Jason and I will cover a little bit about the Royals and why we put it off, um, because it's just no easy task. Anyone who's ever taken a Julian calendar and a Gregorian calendar and tried to do you know, the decipher with both of them and you've got leap years and all this other nonsense to get through, it's just it's, it's a bit of a task. Um, but anyhow, the time portion of this, everyone should catch it. It is very, very telling how we got to be where we are, where every computer in this world is controlled by time. And there are places like GMT in Great Britain and places like the Naval Observatory in Washington completely controlling and supplying the artificial construct that is modern time. Anyhow, let's j- jump in with Jason Lindgren. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This is episode 75. I have Jason Lindgren with me, so let's just do this, man. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. So we had initially set out to cover a bit more topics than we're actually going to tackle in in this episode, and we actually have a ton to get through anyhow. Um, And so we'll just suffice it to say um, that the reason for that, we were going to cover the Hindu temples with the monkey gods, because clearly there was some... Relation to the RH positive thing we were covering last time around. Um, but we were going to cover the birth and conception dates of some of the royals. And what we found was that uh, a lot of them have two birthdays. And it's one of them is a Julian calendar birthday, and one is a Gregorian calendar birthday. So as we got into it, we began to realize. We just simply did not have time to parse through it all, which we will go at again. And, uh, Jason, and by the way, the third topic we're going to cover today is artificial time, which is the constraint we all live under or most of us live under now. But, Jason, did you know that the uh, Naval Observatory there in Washington, D.C., where the supposed most accurate cesium clock is keeping world time, they actually track the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar? Were you aware of that?
1: No, I wasn't. And that's saying something because that's the the clock that all the, all the major companies like Apple and IBM, that's what, as far as I know, they link to so that they're putting their faith in that.
0: Right. It's a whole thing. And we're going to get into that artificial illusory construct. Um, there's no getting away from it. Computers run on clock time. It's all there is to it. But, um, the, yeah, there, there's a lot more there and we'll get into it. By the time we're talking about leap seconds, I think people's heads will spin. Uh, it's just it's ridiculous. It's completely devoid of any natural reality. But um, you want to just pick up and start in with the tie over from the old RH positive idea we did last time. And, I'll, you know, before we jump in, Jason, I'll say I don't feel like I'm too much closer to understanding um, the whole RH thing. I ha- I just can't. I can't come to grips with whether I'm ready to accept the monkey relation um, or whether something else is going on there altogether. I mean, where are you?
1: Well, let's take a moment to address that, actually, because I was reading comments from different people on the forum, on on our website, and then on YouTube as well. And this seems to be a general problem that, that there's different interpretations based off of what, what data people are looking at. You know, some people say you sound uneducated if, you, if you're if you saying it's a direct relation to the rhesus monkey. And then on the other hand, people are talking about how there's multiples of of uh, primates that have very similar blood factors and all that. So it's like, well, well which one is it, you know?
0: <laughs> right. So, so what I actually did, and it didn't get me a lot closer to where I want to be, is I just started to take apart the language. And there is no denying that RH stands for rhesus and that word is followed by factor which includes you know the idea of fact so whether or not the realities that are being pushed forward have any basis in reality the idea The idea that people have an RH named after a rhesus monkey in their blood and they're calling it a factor, um, those are things we can know for sure. But again, it doesn't get me much closer. But as we were doing the RH work last time, which was very interesting, just frustrating to say the least, um, it became pretty clear that – Hanuman, the supposed monkey god of the Hindus, um, and I have troubles with the description of god there, because um, I don't think that's what it was meant to be at all. Um, there there were tie-overs in some way, shape, or form, and clearly a lot of the temples over there are actually housing rhesus macaques. So um, we're about to go through a bit of the story of Hanuman, or what people are going to call the Hindu monkey god, uh, just to, to try to wrap up the narrative from Rh. Positive. Uh, anything you want to add before we jump in?
1: Yeah, yesterday, just to kind of finish off the whole RH thing, I looked up the Human Genome Project, which was finished in, if I remember correctly, 2003. And right. uh, it's not something I had looked up for last week's that I probably should have, but it occurred to me again yesterday. So basically what they were saying when I was looking through the, the sum-ups on, on the breakdowns of all the things they got out of ripping apart the human genome is that the RH factor almost certainly doesn't have a, a dedicated use that they could find. There was some small little things, but nothing major, not like it. it this does this specifically. This is why it's there. This is very important. Basically, they didn't know. And um, that's that's really interesting. Like, why would this very significant thing in your blood that radically affects if if two people who have it and don't have it interact have no significance whatsoever. So that's there's some very big thing to this that we just don't know.
0: Right. There's no getting away from it. And so we've had enough accounts from people, real people commenting and the research we did that really show it is possible for an RH negative positive father to have a child with an RH negative mother and have the mother try to fight off the blood in that fetus as a pathogen, basically. And that's really the whole basis for everything we're covering. I mean, there's no getting away from that. It really kind of does point to two different species. But when we come back around to common sense and the real world, it's not quite that, that easy to – you know, slice and dice. But I also looked a bit uh, last night, as a matter of fact, into the genome project. And it wasn't long after. I think it was the rhesus macaque. It was one of the monkeys. I think it was the rhesus macaque um, where they had done that genome a short while after the supposed human genome. And there's another part to this where there is no denying that they are using certain types of animals supposedly for their close relationship to the the systems people have, to do medical things. It's over and over and over from inoculations to this to that to studying diseases to all these things. But it seems to often be – the same old suspect. So I mean, there is something to this. Um, But anyhow, uh, we could beat this horse until we're white in the face. Uh, I just don't think we're going to get that much closer for now. But that doesn't mean we're not going to come back on this. So do you want to just kind of jump in and give people the background on the supposed monkey god of the Hindu? I don't think god is the right word. I really don't. I think it's more like a natural attribute or an idea. I could be wrong. uh, But the name of this supposed personage or god or whatever you want to call it, is Hanuman, H-A-N-U-M-A-N. You want to just jump in and start giving them some of the mythical backstory and whatnot on this supposed entity?
1: Yeah, so obviously we're trying to tie this into last week where we've been discussing the RH factor, and there seems to be some sort of direct reference to the rhesus monkey, and the rhesus monkey is native to India and the surrounding regions. They're not in any other part of the world, so... The monkeys often use temples as their home base because there they are protected and are often fed and pampered by the people there. Now, from the temple area, they radiate out and will frequently get into urban areas, especially more recently as, as deforestation has occurred, uh, you know, over the years of industrialization in India. In the past, many of them lived in temples, even hundreds of years ago and the forest nearby would be where they would retreat to but they'd always come back to the temples so that was something that kept getting pointed out when I kept looking at different articles on these monkeys. Now over the years of course the the temples have been swallowed up as we were saying by urbanization and industrialization and then the only place they would have to go if they there were too many of them or they just wanted to wander around they would go into the cities. Now the monkeys are protected by high status given to them because of the association with this Hindu monkey god hanuman now because of the nuisance issues that they can cause some monkeys will actually be rounded up and relocated back into the forests but from what i read the 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 numbers are, are quite large and it doesn't matter how much they do they're still just all over the friggin' place
0: Right. There's a couple things about this. I mean, mean, it was nearly impossible to try to get to the roots um, through typical use of the Internet of how the monkeys became associated with the temples, why the people are, I don't know if worship's even the right word, but they're taking care of them, protecting them. And it's in sharp contrast to the kind of uh, protectorate, the, the, the animal protection ideas that are more worldwide, where they list the rhesus macaque as NC, no concern. Hell of a thing to, to label you know a living thing in this world as we have no concern for it. But um, as we get into this, Jason, even trying to figure out how the temples came to all these things, it's like you could not get through Um, the Expedia, you know, travel here and pay $200 kind of junk to try to get into what's going on. And then, of course, Wikipedia wants to take it all up. And that's not good enough. But I mean, did you find what I found? Uh, It seems to be a really kind of unaddressed thing.
1: Right. Now, this, this Hanuman character definitely is integrated in with the Hindu temples and all that. But Finding very specific information, and, you know, let's take a moment to address this as well. I'm really starting to get very suspicious about the way search engines work, especially right. in relation to certain bits of information. Like, you know, you you could find stupid crap all day long in, whor- in, in spades, you know, it's just tons and tons and tons of, of any random crap, but... I'm starting to notice a weird thing, and and this is what I'm going to bring up now and see what uh, people out there might might have to comment on this. For instance, when I was trying to find references to India, or if I put Indians and things like that, with specific things that would only be in the country of India, not referring to Native Americans, it was still like the search engine parameters are still trying to get me off topic, you know what I mean? So right. I I really wonder if they've got something in these algorithms when you start trying to dig into more serious stuff that, you know, they're deliberately trying to make it difficult. And, you know, and I don't want to sound like crazy conspiracy stuff, but I don't think it's that hard to have the algorithms, I mean we're all using the same Google search engines, right? That that they're right. doing things to make sure that it's at least somewhat difficult for us to get what, what we're looking for. And we saw this with the Rhesus factor. You know, last week you and I both said the same thing. You know, we we were trying to find specifically what it all relates to and we just it just seemed really ambiguous.
0: I'll take it a step further, Jason. Over the last two shows, particularly this one, um, the idea that I've had festering in my mind about where information, the ability to get information goes once the Googles of the world control it all is going to be terrible. And, And what we see here is exactly that. I mean, if you walk into a library The amount of information that's there is there. You can find a book. It's on a shelf somewhere. The Internet, uh, when we began to dig into this monkey idea, these monkey gods, temples, the rhesus factor, all these things, it was clearly just returning so much garbage. It got to the point where I would go down to the bottom of Google or other search engines. I would click 20, 30, 40, 50 pages ahead. And then the problem became that by the time you got to the 40th or 50 page, you were completely off topic. Um, There's something to this, Jason, and it does go to show. But anyhow, we better keep pushing through here because we have just so much to get through. By the time we begin covering artificial time, I imagine we're going to be going way over.
1: Right. And one last little point on that I'd like to throw out there for everyone. A little trick I've learned doing this kind of research is sometimes when I put in my topic, I don't just use the the main page where it comes up. I'll click on images with that same topic in there and just to see what comes up because there seems to be, uh, I'm conjecturing here, but there seems to be some sort of difference with the algorithm. And I'll find different things, even though I'm doing the same search. So uh, a little trick out there for anybody trying to look things up, try it that way and see if you're getting anything different. Moving on with some more on Hanuman. He is, of course, a Hindu god, if, if God is the appropriate word, an avatar of sorts, who resembles a rhesus monkey. Now, the Indian people do not, from all what I could see... They do not call him a monkey god. It's just that, right. is, that is his visage. That is what he looks like. He resembles it, but he's not supposed to be a, a monkey in godlike form, from what I can find. Now, his name comes from Sanskrit, from the word Hanumant, meaning large jod. The S- Sanskrit texts mention several legends about, Hanuman, about how Hanuman got his name. One legend is that Indra, the king of the gods struck Hanuman's jaw during his childhood. The child received his name from the Sanskrit words hanu, jaw, and man, or mant, meaning prominent or disfigured. The name thus means one with prominent or disfigured jaw. Another theory says the name derives from the Sanskrit words han, killed or destroyed, and mana, pride. The name implies one whose pride was destroyed. I would also like to add that the name sounds like, as far as English would be concerned, new man or human. But the second one here, this uh, killed or destroyed pride, you know, it almost sounds like they're trying to say something about us as human beings, that our pride was destroyed in in the embodiment of this uh, avatar.
0: Well, even in the word pride, Jason, it's spelled M-A-A-N-A. and we have the word man. In uh, Hanuman, you've got new man. And that goes across a few languages, too. But here's what strikes me about this. Um, the first definition of what this name might mean uh, is about a jaw. And that could have to do with speech, or you could go any number of ways with that. And this is all the way back to Sanskrit, which is probably one of the most complex languages, maybe one of the oldest who knows. But how is it that nobody quite knows? You know, this this is the story of Hanuman and the monkey temples all the way through that nobody's quite sure. And we're going to get into the probable reasons for that when we begin to get into the Jesuit invasion in the 1500s. And of course, everyone's aware that Britain, you know, what was the last emperor of India was like George the Sixth or something like that. I don't know if I have that right, but um, let's keep pushing.
1: So some Jain texts, and this is J-A-I-N, mention that Hanuman spent his childhood on an island called Hanuruha, which is the origin of his name. Another possibility for the origin of his name. The avatar is a devotee of Lord Rama and is one of the central characters in the various versions of the epic Ramayana found in the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia. As one of the Chiranjivi, he is also mentioned in several other texts, such as the Mahabharata, the various Puranas, and some Jain, Buddhist, and Sikh texts. Several later texts also present him as an incarnation of Shiva, and Shiva is one part of the Triune God, and that representation is the destroyer of evil and the Transformer. Hanuman is the son of Anjana and Kesari, and is also son of the wind god Vayu, who, according to several stories, played a role in his birth. So that in itself is a little weird. Like, how does he have multiple parents creating this person? So already we see some odd things with the anthropomorphization of this uh, character.
0: In my view, what you're looking at is Western people coming in and just jacked up whatever was available here. We've got to realize um, that the story we're talking about of Hanuman, the supposed monkey avatar, I guess I'll call him, um, monkey man avatar, uh, it shows up in Jain, Buddhist, Sikh texts, these are some of the oldest things going as far as we know. Um, And not only that, there's all these weird references. As an example, you gave one of the three or four possible ways this avatar came into being that I saw. Not just one, um, it's almost like the Jains have a version, the Buddhists have a version, the Hindus have two or three versions. But one thing I did found is there seems to be a relationship to what they call a synthetic god, which I found very interesting, called Ayapon. A-Y-Y-A-P-P-A-N. And this started to play back into the whole, you know, someone created this thing. But at the end of the day, Jason, I think until we get down to the Jesuit part of the text we're about to cover here, most people are going to be, you know, saying, where's the there?
1: Right, right. So since we're looking to tie the very real possibility that India is the cradle of civilization as opposed to Africa, or perhaps it's just for caucasian civilization if there's any there to the rhesus factor let's take a moment to once again mention this notion of the first triune god that of course is so predominant later religions and is to this day it's first seen in the hindu religion now in theirs it's called the trimurti it is the supreme trinity in hinduism in which the cosmic functions of creation, maintenance, and destruction are each personified as a triad of deities. Now, in the typical version, although there are variations, Brahma is the creator, Vishnu is the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer-regenerator, although different denominations of the Hindu religion may have differing aspects to this lineup, but the general ideas are the same. Now, in all three deities of the Trimurti, incarnate into a single avatar. That avatar is known as Datareya.
0: Yeah, so you can kind of see, you know, as I opened up, I didn't want to say Hanuman was a god, and this kind of starts to demonstrate that really the way they're thought about is almost like aspects of nature or something like that. I don't think I have the language to describe it, but this bullet point strikes me for Uh, one main reason, and, you know, it's being called the Trimurtium. We're talking about the Three or the Triune God, and you can see how certain aspects of language like Ha, Nu, Man um, go across, like, these languages that are so far removed from one another, and I found this over and over and over, Um, so clearly my guess would be, since English came later, they're borrowing from these ideas, but it's just interesting to me that we kept the T-R-I try to always mean three, and then there's all these other words that don't seemingly relate, but anyhow... um, um, I don't know how far I wandered off there, Jason.
1: Well, what's interesting is this was all the way back, and we don't even know how far back because, of course, as we've discussed before, we we definitely have a very strong notion that history was changed, altered, obfuscated, that something went on. There's There's pretty much no doubt about that at this point. We just don't know what it is. And it's difficult to try and uncover it because we don't know what sources are accurate and what aren't. So my way of dealing with that, of course, is trying to cross-reference as much as possible, uh, for any salient point, but there seems to be something to this, which is why I've once again brought up this triune God in in uh, Hinduism. Or excuse, oh, yeah, definitely in Hinduism, but in Judaism and of course Christianity, that just very strong notions of this triune God. So there is something to this this notion of three, and of course, you know, as as we've discussed so many times, there is something to these numbers. So getting back to Hanuman, some of the stories around this character, while still a baby. Hanuman tried to fly up and grab the sun, which he mistook for a fruit. Indra, the king of the gods, struck Hanuman with his thunderbolt on the jaw, thus inspiring the name. Again, another uh, possibility for how he got his name. When Hanuman continued to misbehave, powerful sages cursed him to forget his magic powers, such as the ability to fly or to become infinitely large until he was reminded of them. Hanuman led the monkeys to help the god Rama recover Rama's wife Sita from the demon Ravana, king of Lanka, sometimes thought of to be Sri Lanka. Having been reminded of his powers by Jambavan, the king of the bears, Hanuman crossed the strait between India and Lanka in one leap, despite the efforts of watery demonesses to stop him by swallowing him or his shadow. He was discovered in Lanka and his tail was set on fire but he used that fire to burn down Lanka. Hanuman also flew to the Himalayas and returned with a mountain full of medicinal herbs to
0: restore the wounded in Rama's army. So I suspect most people hear things like this and, and they're kind of thinking blah, blah, blah. But I would point out there these, these things are in existence for a reason. They're holding all these ideas. As an example, in the beginning of this bullet point, um, Jason is basically showing you the one-to-one corollary with the old Greek myth of Icarus flying up to the sun, you know, getting too close to the sun in the Icarus tale. Um, but by the time you get down to the end, you know, he's in the Himalayas and it's, you know, I have firsthand experience with people. People who were PhDs of uh, medicinal herbology, and it's from that region. So the reason we're kind of covering some of this is just so you have a frame of reference. There's all kinds of information packed in these supposed myths, um, not always easy to divine what that might be. Anyhow, back to you, Jason.
1: Right, it, as with a lot of these stories, there's it's almost like they're encoding. Right important information, things that that you they want to get out there. And, it, you know, a lot of people say that about the Christian Bible and all these other texts, and there seems to be some very important notion to that. You know, the, the stories are just that, stories, but it's the personification of information that's embedded in there that, uh, you know, for the longest time, of course, would have been oral, predominantly handed down for goodness knows how long before people would mass produce the capability to get all this information out there. So, what it is these ancient peoples are trying to tell us, we don't know, but you have to look, you can't look at it as just a science fiction story. You have to say, okay, so what is this representing?
0: Right. And I would mention, Jason, you know, you and I have taken so much time to kind of demonstrate, and even in this run, we're going to show how the Jesuits can be absolutely paired off with the changing, the the hiding of information um, as their first mission, which was into India in respect to what we're talking about here. But I would suggest that probably a more accurate, more valid picture of history is hidden within these accounts than we actually get from our textbooks. Um, I would submit that. The problem here is it's a bit like any other, you know, any old, old text where if you don't have someone to teach you or some kind of a historical link to the information, it's very difficult to try to weed through what's valuable.
1: Right. Now, while Hanuman is one of the central characters in the ancient Hindu epic Ramayana, as we said before, the evidence of devotional worship to him is missing in the texts and archaeological sites of ancient and most of the medieval period. And of course, the Dark Ages into the medieval period is where we've brought up before, where we think there's some major obfuscation going on in any kind of uh, historical timeline of, of Western culture.
0: Right. So here again, we have a one-to-one match. Uh, You and I have done shows to make the case that modern history began to be jacked up, as far as we can tell, in in what's called the medieval period. Um, Though I don't accept the Dark Ages, I think that's part of what went on with the rewriting of everything. Here we are over in India, and the same things are being found. So here's this major religious centralized figure that no one can quite tell you what it all means, how he even got his name, how he was born, um, the ideas that are encoded in Hanuman, the monkey avatar. Um, But we're about to get into that. There is a reason, and that reason would be the Jesuits and the Brits. So let's keep going, Jason.
1: Right, now to tie up all of this uh, intro on on the Hindu gods and all that, one thing that definitely was easily noticeable to me while I was doing image searches and all that sort of thing I kept seeing one thing repeated over and over and over again. And maybe a lot of you folks will hear me say that and, and i already guess. But, of course, it is sun symbolism. Tons of it. Tons no of No getting it. away from it. Right. Yep. And, of course, I mention this because it seems like no matter how far back, as far back as we can try and get into, what we see as a repeated meme is sun symbolism. The rest of this might just be window dressing. And the heart of the matter is just that it is... Encoding of the sun and just everything we just dis- we've always discussed it always seems to come back to that
0: I would point out that in some of the research, I was seeing that some of the Hindu sects were supposedly still using a lunar calendar, but then a bunch of them were using what's called the Soli lunar calendar, which people who have followed might remember that is what the Vatican uses to set the day of Easter, um, because a solar, a solar calendar won't get you to the first you know, month after the full moon and the equinox and all that, as I've described it before. But that's kind of interesting too, and I almost wonder if the Soli lunar calendar is original to their or what you're about to cover had a hand in it. But anyhow, here's where we start to get into the meat and potatoes of why it is so damn difficult to try to make heads or tails out of all this information. We're going to talk about the people who likely jacked it up.
1: Absolutely. And we, of course, did a very thorough breakdown of the Jesuit order. And after their creation, one of the first places they went and established and flourished was in India. Now, this next passage I'm going to read is from the Oxford Handbook's website. The relationship between Jesuits and India began in the 16th century with the arrival of St. Francis Xavier on the shores of India, and it continues into the 21st century. Even the suppression of the Society of Jesus worldwide by Pope Clement XIV on July 21st, 1773 did not obliterate the presence of Jesuits in India. Some of them continued to serve the people of India as former Jesuits, and one of them, Friar Francesco Diandrius from Naples, Italy, was readmitted into the Restored Society of Jesus in 1814 and died on December 31, 1818. From 1834 onward, Jesuits started coming once again from different parts of the world to work in India, restoring the old and inaugurating new areas and activities. Together with their collaborators, Jesuits have contributed and are still contributing to nation building in India.
0: So let's be perfectly clear about these black dress wearing jokers, um, because I don't think there's anything positive I'm ever going to say about these people. And that's rare for me, because I usually have something positive to say about everything in this world. But the Jesuits are not one of those things. Um There's a 20th 20th century Jesuit missionary missionary called Camille Bulk, and he actually writes, and this shows how insidious the Jesuits are because they're speaking all the native languages of where they've gone. In this case, these guys are reading Sanskrit, and they're scrubbing and changing and hiding and taking and reforming. And let's be perfectly clear, the Society of Jesus has an agenda. The Jesuits have an agenda. That's all there is to it. So this guy, Camille Bolk that I'm mentioning, a 20th century Jesuit, comes in and writes a book. Get this. Here's the title. Ramkatha Utpati Arvikas. <laughs> okay? Shows you what he's doing. He speaks the language. He knows where he's at. He knows what he's doing. But here's what it means. The tale of Rama, its origin and development here's the rub. When you begin to get into this thing that he wrote, it's like some kind of a proposal, but it's passed off as factual. And what he ends up saying in this writing, which is in the native tongue, which is put all over the place, which is replacing whatever the people who lived there for centuries probably had written down, is he proposed that Hanuman the worship of Hanuman was the base of, of cults of aboriginal tribes. I'm not even kidding. So you come into a rich culture and you boil it down to cults and aboriginal tribes. That's what this missionary did. And so we can, when we're going to here, as we move through, show flat out that in the 1500s, one of the very first Jesuit missions was to India. And I think that tells us something about India in terms of how important it is as the idea of cradle of civilization, maybe just to, to Caucasoids, I don't know for sure, but certainly as as a cradle of civilization to some portion of the world at large. Anyhow, sorry for the, the wordy response there, Jason.
1: Well, I'm hoping the people at this point are starting to see what we're unfolding here for them, you know, what, why we went into this this Hindu god and all that, because if there's some massive amount of information that's being woven into these early stories in a place we're proposing may actually be the cradle of modern civilization and then they we have the jesuits coming in doing what they do well this is going to tie in to this all missing history and alternative history or whatever we want to call it that we've been trying to look into we, we keep looking for key factors of like how would they have pulled this off if indeed they did and there's pretty pretty damning evidence suggesting that they did. So this is why we're doing this. We're trying to show, hey, there's something here, but then it seems like information's missing all over the place. And then we see the Jesuits going in, in this uh, it, hundreds of years ago, doing their thing. So right. the point of missing history seems to stem, of course, from the 15 or 1600s. And in the 1500s is when they go to India. So how much of this real history has actually been lost or displaced or just plain destroyed? By possibly them, you know, it, it's a huge question that I don't know how we're really going to be able to answer.
0: Right? Yeah, I don't think you ever can. I, I mean, it's a bit like someone coming into a jigsaw puzzle on a table and stealing, Lord knows how many pieces forging some pieces, leaving some pieces out, um, and then handing it back to everyone saying, build this jigsaw puzzle. It's not really a doable thing. But let's be clear for people who aren't up to date on the Jesuits, Jason. Um, The Jesuits were originally formed. And as we're pointing out here, one of their very first missions is into India, probably one of the major cradles of civilization. Um, And they are basically like the ninja military secret service arm reportable only to the pope. In the laws and bylaws or whatever the heck the proper terminology can, and I don't know what it would be, I've forgotten because it's been a while since we did the episode, it is stated outright that a Jesuit can never be pope and is reportable only to the pope and they exist basically to serve the pope in kind of a militaristic fashion. Well, so everyone is completely clear about this picture. The current sitting pope is a Jesuit. Not only that, Jason pointed out earlier that there was a pope that actually disbands the Jesuit at one point. Not only are the Jesuits disbanded by the Vatican itself, but they are kicked out of France, Spain, Portugal. I, I forget the list. Every major country that matters end up trying to kick the Jesuits out. And then for some bizarre reason in the – I think it's the 1800s, um, they're, they're put back together. And by the way, they never went anywhere. They just changed their name. These are some really pain in the butt dudes, this organization has really caused trouble. It's written false histories. It's gone in and completely decimated um, local traditions and histories. And that's really what we're getting to here. So again, sorry, Jason, back to you.
1: Well, this is really important because we know from our, from our research into the Jesuits that they did a lot of dirty, underhanded things in lots and lots of different countries. And certain countries, as you, as you reiterated there, did kick them out. But guess where they were never kicked out of? India. They were there the entire time.
0: I think Russia, too, if I remember correctly, just There were a couple places, but yes. it, even the kicking out of them did jack because all they did was change their name. They kept going as they ever did, they just didn't call themselves Jesuits for a while.
1: Right. That's what exactly I it. can tell. I mean, yeah. they, maybe they, in an official capacity, their, their infrastructure was not. Currently functional, but these people who held all this power and influence, their network would have still existed it's not like they were you know d- kicked out of Catholicism altogether, so you know we know that whatever it is they were doing underneath all of this, whatever their their overall goal was, and it seems to be to have always advanced the the power of the Catholic Church, you know. It just didn't stop. They just probably had to be a little more underhanded about it. But again, we're just – we're talking about India today, which we really didn't go into in our Jesuit episode. So if indeed there was some sort of greater agenda going on, the uh, the thousands of Jesuits that would have been there and still are to today would have been able to just carry on their work. I mean it's not like that someone was going to be able to get on the internet back then and say, hey, they're still doing their thing. They're They're – all far off another part of the world that, that had very little communication. So what was to stop them from doing whatever it was that they were intending to do?
0: Right. And these jokers, man, almost everything we start to look at, these guys were here first in so many cases. But just to refresh a few minds before you hit this next bullet point, which proves the hand of the Catholic Church or the Jesuit order, or however you want to slice and dice the labeling of that, um, is in India and jacking up the story of Hanuman, which may or may not relate to the Rh positive idea and the rhesus monkey and the temples for the rhesus monkeys. Originally in this world, most likely the first of the year was at the spring equinox. I can demonstrate this in all these different ways, but to cut to the chase, it was moved to January, the first of the year. We're told it was by Caesar Julius, if there was such a man. Yes, author of the Julian calendar, we are told. Um, and Pope Gregory the Thirteenth, I believe. So you can see that the moving from what I consider to be the proper first of the year at the spring equinox back to January is holy, a Roman or holy Roman or Vatican idea. They're the people who made it up. They're the people who pushed it. They're the people who implemented it. So keep that in mind as Jason covers this next bit.
1: Right. Hanuman's birthday is observed by some Hindus as Hanuman Jayanti. It falls in much of India in the traditional month of Chaitra in Luni solar Hindu calendar, which overlaps with March and April. However, in parts of Kerala and Tamil Nadu, Hanuman Jayanthi is observed in the regional Hindu month of Margazi, which overlaps with December and January. The festive day is observed with devotees gathering at Hanuman temples before sunrise and day-long spiritual recitations and story reading about the victory of good over evil. And as you said, this pretty much shows that the Jesuit invasions changed the narrative from old ways to new ways.
0: Yeah, and you know, we didn't even touch earlier. We probably should have. There's this Hanuman avatar is heavily, heavily associated with a victory of good over evil. And this is in the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, other things like this. I mean, it's in a lot of very supposed old spiritual texts. Um, But here you have it. Um, You have Hanuman being what's Celebrated in what's called traditional the month of Chaitra, which I think may relate to the idea of immortality. The word is very similar. Uh, using the Hindu lunisolar calendar, which is basically the true first of the year, you're right there at the spring equinox. But then, of course, it's jacked up to December and January. And again, that has nothing to do with Indians or Asians or any other part of the world, for the most part. That's not a hundred percent true. But we have the Jesuits on the scene, and we have the very architects of changing the first of the year standing there and in my eyes that's pretty much proof positive of the the intent and the actions changing and removing and obscuring what existed before they got there
1: right so let's get into a little more of an explanation of what we were just saying about old ways versus new ways there is what we have called old style and it's abbreviated as os if you see it in in any sort of printed media and new style ns that are used with dates to indicate whether the Julian year has been adjusted to start on 1st January in the new style, even though documents written at the time use a different start of the year, old style, or whether a date conforms to the Julian calendar formerly used in many countries rather than the replaced Gregorian calendar. Now, closer related is double dating, which uses two consecutive years because of differences in the starting date of the year or includes both the Julian and Gregorian dates. Beginning in 1582, the Gregorian calendar replaced the Julian in Catholic countries. This change was also implemented in Protestant and Orthodox countries sometime later. In England and Wales... Ireland and the British colonies, the change of the start of the year and the changeover from the Julian calendar occurred in 1752 under the Calendar Act 1750 of the New Style. In Scotland, the legal start of the year had already been moved to January 1st in 1600, but Scotland otherwise continued to use the, Jul- uh, to use the Julian calendar until 1752. Many cultures and countries now using the Gregorian calendar have different old styles and dating depending upon the type of calendar they used
0: before the change. So here's the calendar game, man, and I'll tell you where I'm at with it. As I mentioned in the opening, the naval observatory that supposedly keeps world time on a cesium clock is keeping Gregorian and Julian calendar time. Why? What's the point? We're told the Julian calendar needed a correction. So they came up with a Gregorian calendar, chucked out 10 days or some other nonsense. That story varies um, and did all these things and gave us months where some have this many days and some have that many, except for February, because every fourth year we're going to lose. You know, it's all this construct, complete construct of time, which is where this episode is going to end. We're going to rip that apart proper. My point is this. Jason and I set out to try to show uh, that some of the royals in this world, a lot of the royals, most of the royals, were using the old sun-based ideas that some might call astrology or maybe they'd call it alchemy. doesn't matter. The natural idea of where the sun is in a year to conceive and then have children. And as we got into it, we started finding some very interesting things. But we quickly caught on that a lot of these people had two birthdays, like Queen Elizabeth, many others, and we quickly realized that one was referring to a Julian calendar and the other to a Gregorian. It appears to me that what's happened here, and by the way, the switch from Julian to Gregorian to fix a supposed error is so insignificant as to be almost not doable. The main thing that gets changed is we're told the Julian had 10 months and all this other probable nonsense. I mean, if you're using a lunar month, uh, probably you would have 13 of them as, as an equal division. But anyhow, we're told the supposed Romans were using 10 and there was problems and there was a correction to the Gregorian calendar where they dropped 10 days. I think that had to do with Easter, if I remember correctly. Um, all this nonsense. What's going on is these people are still keeping the Julian calendar. And I suspect the reason for it is the real numbers that matter, that they are hiding, are in the form of the Julian calendar. Jason and I are going to go back on this, but it is no easy task to unravel, to be sure. And when you discover that the world time cesium clock in Washington, D.C. is also keeping Julian time, it's just like, why? What the heck? There is something to this. But anyhow, Jason, do you feel like I dropped anything? Did Did anything fall through the crack there? No, you
1: nailed it. And and this is what we were doing. We were trying to figure out what the aristocracy, what the royal people, because obviously what we've been looking at is blood and bloodlines and all that. So we started looking at dates and significances because, as you and I both know, we always find significance to certain dates and tying in with the equinoxes and all that. And then, of course, we come upon this weird thing with with the calendar dates. And we don't know what's what when you really look at it. It's How do you translate these? How do you get them to where it would be more accurate and we were having a conversation uh, off the air about astrology and nailing these things down and basically what it comes down to is anyone doing incredibly accurate astrology could find out exactly when events are occurring because of of course the certain celestial bodies being in certain positions and that's all monitored and and, and written down and it has nothing to do with, with the jacked up dates
0: Right, which is what we set out to demonstrate, is that basically what a lot of people would call astrology, although I have problems with that word now because there's so many different versions of it and versions out there that are meant to be unhelpful, um, these people are following that. And what really kind of starts to prove it is when they will not divulge the actual time on a clock time, uh, the actual time some royal personage was born. And there's no reason for that. The only reason that I can logically work out for that, since we can show that they're using the sun and and other Bodies uh, to plan their their conception and birth um, is that you can get it down to the second. And so that's an ast- astrological thing. And the problem here also is that astrology has been so defamed for most people uh, that it just sounds like nonsense. But the truth is, the truth is, there is no getting away from the fact that all time in this world is based on the, you know, basically the equinoxes and solstices. You can go a little more finite and start to talk about months and the moon and these things. My point is this. Um, We started to look at Prince William, you know, the next king of England. And we began to realize, well, he was born right at the height of the power of the sun. And then he's got a son named George. And he's right there at the height of the power of the sun. So we started looking at the people who George was named after. And what we found is that George 1, 2, 3, and I think 4, I don't remember if it was five, Jason, were also what I would describe as a sun king, being born at the height of the power of the sun. Of course, echoing back to Julius Caesar, who gives us the month of July, and who launches the Julian calendar near the height of the sun at the summer solstice. So that's a lot to think about, but there is absolutely something to this, and it is absolutely based in the older ways, where time was kept by looking at the sun or the moon or you know something in the sky. And that's basically what the whole end of this episode is going to be taking apart, the fact that we've been ripped from nature and we live in a completely 100 percent, no arguing about it, artificial world when you look at it from the point of view of time. Anyhow, back to you, Jason.
1: So before we start tearing apart this this concept of artificial time, why are we even discussing this in the first place? What are we getting at when we look at this aristocracy and all that? And it seems to be that, th- in my opinion, I think you're, you're pretty much in the same mind, They are able to keep track of things in a much more accurate way for themselves, but they've obfuscated it all for the people who are outside of their little circles. That's what it really seems to come down to, especially with this revelation about the cesium clock. Why would they be keeping that? Well, obviously they're using it for something, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I mean, probably the people who actually know a true history of this world, it sure does help if you know something about the older calendar, but I also suspect that there is something to, like in alchemy, like the farmer planting his seed. Farmer's got these seeds. He's not going to plant them at the fall equinox. He's not going to plant them at the winter solstice. He's going to wait till March and he's going to plant them in spring. Because that's what the natural system requires. There's something to this that relates to that idea of when a person is born, when a person is conceived, what it means to be born in a certain month. And the real problem with talking about this is the average year, again, will say, oh, they're talking about astrology, I'm out. Well, I'm sorry. You can be out all day long. There is something to this. In the same way, a farmer knows when he must plant. Because nature requires it, these alchemical, these older, these sky-based ideas—the natural clock, sky clock—that we have are are absolutely being exploited by the people who still understand why it was important.
1: And goodness knows what it is they're trying to hide in the long run. That's that's what I was constantly thinking about when we we kept uncovering point after point after point that time has been jacked. Why? What are they doing? And I think we've pretty much said it as this in past episodes, in fact. The more they do this sort of thing, the more we are pulled away from the natural world. And basically, the more confused we are
0: and the easier it is to control us. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Basically, we live in fantasy we end up the infants wearing diapers, living in a fantasy-based world that has no relation to reality um, because of the artificial construct, which is what we are about to set out to show. Um, And we'll kick it off and we'll use the Equinox as an example. So, you know, for a long time, I've been talking about how I knew they were announcing the Equinox, the Spring Equinox, at the wrong time. And I just, you know, I had thought about it, thought about it. As we got into this episode, you know, seven days ago, I sat down and I really began to think about it. And I finally realized, um, and it's pretty common sense, which is a bit embarrassing that I didn't think of it sooner, but nonetheless, I finally realized. But anyhow, um, do you want to pick up or do you want me to launch straight in?
1: One little thing I want to add in, what we were trying to do, which we found out was a much larger problem to tackle before we get into this, is that we were trying to look at the the, the Royal birthdays, and we have a chart, and then we were matching that against Uh, the Jewish holidays and the Catholic holidays and the equinoxes and all that. And of course we did find a lot of birthdays and things like that lining up with some of this stuff, which, you know, there's just so much information there. It wasn't something we can just slam together and put out, but just so everyone knows, we are looking at these things, looking for the significance of it all and what, what, why they do what they do and when they do it kind of a thing. So if they're obfuscating time, as far as uh, record keeping and all that, they may be doing things on their own scale for their very specific reasons, and we can't even really know that because of the way everything's been jacked around. So anyway, let's uh, let's do that. Let's explain how the equinoxes cannot be announced by date accurately with the current system and how each year a day is chosen, which doesn't actually reflect the reality of the natural system, especially from place to place. You know, the, the thing that's not really taken in consideration, uh, just like we saw
0: with the eclipse, is that it depends upon where you're at. Right. And there is the beginning of the spinning of the non-reality based illusion to convince everyone that when CNN and the local newspaper say, guess what, guys, the spring equinox is on March 20th this year, you're being wholly, wholly separated from a reality based life into a fantasy based life. And here's why it finally dawned on me as I began to take apart the announcement for this past Equinox for spring that we just came through. It was announced as March 20. And I kept noticing all this language from the newscasters and the articles and the things that I looked at where it said, and even though the word Equinox means equal night, it's really not quite equal. And I said, wait a minute, BS. That's what an equinox is, man. Equal day, equal night. That is what an equinox is. And for some reason, we have the German version that the word means equal night. It doesn't change the idea. And so on the face of it, what they were telling you was a lie. And so as I dug in, I realized why. Because you cannot pick a day for the equinox and announce it to a country or a world because it depends where you are. In my case... My news was telling me that March 20th at some certain time of the day was the equinox, when in fact, we were going to have equal day or night, either on the 24th or 5th. So I proved it flat out to myself. Um, And as I began to look at this idea, I began to realize that this is case in point for the artificiality of our world, for the kind of complete separation from using a sun to know when sunrise is, or, you know, a year when a year has occurred, using an equinox or a solstice to recognize this is the only true division of time to where we are now. But before I dive in, I'll kick it back to you, Jason, and we'll move in.
1: Well, what I'd like to know from all of what you've looked at, especially before I ever became involved... What do you think is the significance of the equinoxes and all that? Why are these specific events
0: seeming to have so much importance to the people behind the scenes? Some of it I can address, and a lot of it I can't to be perfectly honest why Why in Masonic drivings, Joaquin and Boaz encoding the equinoxes is always used seems to encode a lot of things, and truth is i don't accept the description of our world, so there's probably good reason why i don't understand a lot of what's being valued in these times. But if you boil it down to its base, an equinox and a solstice, Divide your year in the only way that matters in a natural way. And if we wanted to take it back before anyone ever had a wristwatch, that's pretty critical key information to know. You know when to plant, you know when to harvest, you know when the months are going to come when you cannot plant and you better have food set by or a way to hunt or something like that. These kinds of ideas. And the, though that's the most basic, I highly suspect that there's a heck of a lot more to it. And as an example, in some of the oldest texts I've ever got my hands on, the summer solstice, which is uh, June 20, 21, 22, something like that, depending on what year you're looking at, uh, is referred to when people die as the gateway of men. The inverse of that Is the winter solstice, which occurs sometime around Christmas, January 21st-ish, depending on the year and the decade and the century and all that, is referred to when people die as the gateway of God's. And so there was this whole idea that clearly had some more esoteric meaning encoded in it. But the truth is, is, you know, right now you're listening to a guy who doesn't accept the description of our world. And so until I can accept some kind of a description, how can I possibly be able to put together the idea of what equinoxes and solstices may be encoding? So not much of an answer. Sorry.
1: Well, the thing I came up with. And and just doing what I normally do, I tried to strip it strip it down to its bare bones. Is that right. no matter what calendar y- you're using for a day to day basis, ancient peoples and I'll just leave that as a as an open ambiguousness could still mark the passage of time because these events solstices and equinoxes carved the year up into four sections, so they could right. still know that X amount of events occurred. From point to point, you know that is a year, and they didn 't necessarily need like in in the far past they were, they didn 't live in this over corporatized world that we live in today you know they didn 't have to give a crap about getting up at you know absolutely had to be up by nine a m so I could be to work for ten a m and you know i only work i 'm working these five days and then i 'm going to have two days off they didn 't do that you know it was it was a, a much more in touch with uh, the ground the nature the you know the, the spirit of of everything. Compared to what we are today, we're we're pretty much turned into machines following a cesium clock, if you will.
0: Right. So I want to do a couple things before we wrap the episode. Um, As we get into the second hour, we're absolutely going to show that we live in an artificial construct and time is probably the heartbeat of that illusory dream world that has been spun around us. But as an example, we talked about the Julian and Gregorian calendars. I would invite anyone. I know I'm going to do it as Jason and I start to queue up and go back on this. Take important dates like 9-11, September 11, 2001. Take that Gregorian date that has been echoed through this world so many gazillion times and transfer it back to a Julian calendar. While you're at it, transfer it to a Coptic calendar and see what you see. And you'll begin to see what we have hinted at and flat out stated here. Um, Let's cover one more thing. Let's cover this last thing that's next up, Jason, to give people a flavor of where this is gonna go just to demonstrate the complete farce, falsehood, fantasy-based reality that current time is. So I'll just kick it over to you and let's cover this last point before we wrap for the first hour.
1: All right, so roughly 150 years ago, all time was determined by observing the sky. In the United States alone, there were hundreds of time zones which were accurate to the local natural observable system. Operators of the new railroad lines needed a new time plan that would offer a uniform train schedule for departures and arrivals. Four standard time zones for the continental United States were introduced on November 18,
0: 1883. And here is the crux of what I have kind of started considering as the death knell from human beings living in a natural system this is one of the first frontal assaults of course brought to you by the robber barons of America the lapdog lapdog of England uh, the richest among us here uh, brought brought to us by them with the excuse that oh we can't possibly run our trains and by the way there were something like 50 different train companies believe it or not i looked it up Um, but we couldn't possibly schedule our trains because all these local hillbillies out there are actually looking at the sun and saying hey man it's sunrise so we have hundreds of time zones how can we deal with it i would point out firstly that maritime travel and ships and ports had been operating since the beginning of the first ship or port that was ever built not having this issue And while it could be argued that trains were getting where they were going a little more quickly than a lot of those ships were, the fact remains is that I do not accept the argument in the first place. Um, The fact remains that when I look at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., with a supposed oscillating radioactive atom-cesium clock keeping world time, yet still holding on to Julian as well as Gregorian, I see complicity here. I see malice aforethought. So – Before I kick it over to you, Jason, I just want to state emphatically, we are going to take apart the modern time illusion in such a way that I don't think the average person will ever look at it in the same way. Do you have anything you want to add before we close up?
1: Well, I hope that folks see that even though some of these things we're discussing seemed a little disconnected, what we're really trying to do is paint a picture that going back as far as we can find, that things were intentionally being changed, altered, altered obfuscated maybe completely deleted on purpose for the point of control cuz what we're always trying to do in this show is point out how just how much the control system really exists it's there you know and they just kind of paint it over with this veneer of everything's okay and and you know this is all crazy crazy nonsense it's not crazy nonsense how how much do we have to get into before folks really realize that we are living in a completely constructed reality and that's what we're doing here so hopefully we gave you a good intro to all of this artificial time idea that we're going to completely tear apart in hour two
0: right there's there's no getting away from it you know jason maybe as i close up i'll just say you know that that old band that everyone's embarrassed to like from the 80s called sticks they really summed it up uh, in their album the grand illusion People should go back and listen to some of the words off that album. These things were done with intent. It's almost hard to imagine the lengths of time backwards a lot of this stuff started. But here we are. And as we get into the second hour, we are going to completely decimate time and demonstrate that living in a natural world as a natural human being was largely taken apart with the bringing in of time zones for the robber barons who own the railroads in the United States, quickly followed by GMT in uh, in London, the Meridian Mean Time. So there it is, man. We're bringing episode 75 to a close, the first hour. I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com where we will in fact demonstrate that a major part of the dream within the dream we currently experience is based on time and the time we're gonna define here is an absolute illusion. There it is, cheers.